Good morning. I am Ryan, and I get to be the missions director here at Alamo Heights. Thank you. And today is Palm and Passion Sunday. Everybody has palms at the end of your aisles, and you're all going to need one for this sermon. So as, as I begin, why don't you all start getting those and making sure you've, everybody's got one. The first thing that we need to do for Palm and Passion Sunday is to talk about uh, history and to talk about memory. What we know as the Old Testament, or maybe more appropriately called the Hebrew Scriptures, was not originally written in English, which is a bit of a shock for people. It was originally lit, written in ancient uh, Hebrew, and there's something a little surprising about ancient Hebrew. There was no word for history in ancient Hebrew. So that means that in the Hebrew scriptures, not once is the word history used. But the word for memory or the word to remember was used over 200 times. This word is zakar. Say zakar. Zakar. The reason for this is that for the people of the faith of Abraham, the biblical story wasn't told to tell us about things that happened to other people in some other time a long time ago. But the biblical story is told because it's a story that we tell about ourselves. The biblical story is a story that we partook in. It's our story. It's a story that tells us who we are, who we were made to be, where we've been, what has happened to us, maybe where we're going. Passover starts tomorrow, and if you've ever been to a Passover Seder, you might have noticed something a little interesting when we tell the story of the Exodus. We don't say that the Hebrews were enslaved by Pharaoh in Egypt and that God set them free. But when we tell the Passover story, we say that we were once enslaved in Egypt by Pharaoh, and God set us free. Our faith, along with our Hebrew brothers and sisters' faith, is a faith that's informed by memory of what has happened to us. It is not merely dry history. Memory, unlike history, is about experience, and it's about sensuality, and it's about growth. And so in order to set the stage for this Palm and Passion Sunday, we have to do so with a little bit of memory. We were once enslaved in Egypt. The Pharaoh disliked us and disliked our people, and he made the slavery worse and worse and worse. He increased our quotas, and he reduced the time that we had to fill them, and he increased our workload. And after 400 years of this slavery, we finally had enough. We cried out to God, and God heard our cry. He brought us out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and he freed us from being slaves to them. He freed us with his outstretched arm, and he took us and he made us his people. Now, as we were leaving Egypt, some of us grumbled. We were made to spend 40 years in the wilderness waiting for this promise of God to come to fruition. And finally, when an entire generation had passed away, we received our promise, and we received our land, the land of Israel. And unlike when we were slaves, we were given days of rest. We were given holidays. And on those holidays, we would reenact and we would relive and we would remember God's deliverance. We would remember his actions and we would praise him for them. Passover tomorrow is one of those holidays. 
And Sukkot is another. This is where our palm branches come in. During the festival of Sukkot, we would take our palm branches. We can all do this. We raise them up and we shake them. These are a little small. The palm branches that we would be shaking if we were in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago would be about 10 foot long. They'd be those giant palm branches that we see all around San Antonio. And when you shake them, you can kind of hear it here. It sounds a little bit like rain. And so on Sukkot, we'd shake these palm branches and we would cry out, as Matt said, Hoshana! Hoshana! It's ancient Hebrew. We hear Hosanna, but in the Hebrew, we'd hear Hoshana. And Hoshana means God save us. So on Sukkot, we'd shake these palm branches and we'd cry out for God to save us. And we'd ask him to bring the rain, the rain that the palm branches sound like, to fill our cisterns and to water our crops. And we'd remember that God provided for us in the desert once, and that he promised to continue to provide for us. And so as we were in that promised land, we lived sometimes peacefully, sometimes not very peacefully, for a few hundred years. There were some really good times, like when David became the king. But there are also some very, very bad times. It seemed like the Philistines and the Assyrians after them would raid constantly. One of the worst parts was that our national leadership would argue and bicker so much that they eventually tore the country into two different pieces. And the Hebrews had an ancient phrase that if you didn't learn from memory, it might repeat itself. And finally, our situation came to the worst that it could. In the year 1722 BCE, the Assyrians came and tore the northern kingdom to pieces. And soon after that, in 586 BCE, the Babylonians came and did the same to Jerusalem and the kingdom of Judah. Many of us were killed. Many of us were taken and put back into slavery and almost all of us were taken out from this land that we'd been promised. But we still had hope. We still had the prophets that told us that the reign of David's throne would never end. And so we had these memories. We had these festivals and we would remember that God once took us out of slavery. God once provided for us and God once brought us back, brought us into this land of promise. And so we had faith that God would do so again. And eventually our faith was rewarded. We were allowed to return to our land when the Persians defeated the Babylonians and let us go. They didn't leave us in charge, but at least we were able to rebuild the temple that had been torn down stone by stone. Pretty soon after that, though, Alexander the Great came through. and He took the land from the Persians, left us on the land, and when he died, he left our land to two of his generals. And so we sat there in our homeland as these two generals fought and fought over our land and more and more and more of our people were slaughtered. More of us were oppressed and more of us were put back into slavery. One of the generals finally won and he started doing unspeakable things. Beyond the slavery, he started, he started sacrificing pigs. It was unclean swine in our temple. And we, 
We'd had enough again. And so a single family rose up, the story of the Maccabees. The Maccabean family began a revolt, and when they finally won, it was the middle of winter. But we hadn't been able to celebrate Sukkot in a hundred years in Jerusalem. And so when they won, we again took out our palms, and we celebrated Sukkot in the middle of winter, which we remember now as Hanukkah. And we shook those palms again after this victory, and these palms took on a new meaning. Instead of just crying out, Hoshanan, begging for the rain, this Hoshanan, these palms, came to mean we asked for victory. We asked for freedom from our oppressors. This was a symbol of our freedom. This was a symbol of our military victory over the empire that had taken us. But shortly after that, the Romans came. We were under occupation once again. Which leads us finally to today's scripture, to Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem on what we now celebrate as Palm Sunday. He'd had his face set on Jerusalem for some time, and in the Gospel of Luke, we're finally reaching a climax. The scripture for today, then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on him. And as he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in the heaven and glory in the heaven highest. This is the story of God told for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so Jesus enters Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. It doesn't sound like very much of a royal um, steed, a royal mount, suitable for a king. But the selection of this animal was carefully made. In the first chapter of 1 Kings, we remember that King David bestows his crown upon his son Solomon. And he has his high priest and the prophet take Solomon down to the Gihon Spring at the very foot of the valley where the Mount of Olives comes to Jerusalem. And they anoint Solomon at this Gihon Spring. And they put him on a donkey and they bring him back into the city of David as a king. We also have Zechariah 9 that talks about the victorious and the righteous king that will come on the foal of a donkey. This verse was thought then and is still thought today to be a messianic prophecy. And so Jesus rides this donkey down the Mount of Olives, directly passing this Gihon spring where Solomon was anointed and up into the city of David painting this picture for all those around of this king coming back into a city. And the people, they love it. They spread their cloaks on the ground in front of them in deference to this king, and they start to sing Psalm 118. This is a coronation psalm. This is the psalm that says, This is our king that's coming. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And in the Gospel of John, we get a few other details added. The people once again raise their palm branches. And they shout as Jesus comes into the city, Hoshana! God, save us! Jesus, save us! Free us from this oppression from these Romans! 
This is the king that they've been waiting for for so long. All of the oppression that they've been under, all of the deaths and the insults and the blasphemies could come to an end with this man. They don't have to live under the thumb of the Romans anymore. This is our victorious and conquering king. Hoshana, save us. But as he enters, Jesus just weeps. When he comes in, Luke has him saying that the center of their life, the center of the Jewish faith, the center of the Jewish nation, the temple itself, will once again be torn down stone by stone. After he says this, he even goes into the temple and he starts to throw things around himself. People are in there selling these animals for the sacrifice and maybe it got a little out of hand, but it was still a good thing. The sacrifice was something that their holy word prescribed for them. And Jesus disturbs that order. After this, Jesus even goes on to tell his Hebrew brothers and sisters that they need to pay their taxes to the Roman government and to the Roman Caesar. He goes on and he doesn't say that you don't need to trust the Roman leadership. He says, don't trust your own leadership. Your temple priests and your national leaders are not the ones to trust. And at the first time wasn't enough. He again says that this temple will fall. This temple will be torn down stone by stone by stone. There will be nothing left. You will be persecuted Worse than you're persecuted now, you will be hunted. Jerusalem is going to fall, and you will be spread out into the world, out of your land, again. And finally, Jesus is arrested. He's betrayed by one of his followers, and the rest of them have fled. He's put on trial, and the Roman governor, even though he finds no cause for a charge against him, sends him on to Herod to be tried there as well. And Herod asks his questions, but Jesus doesn't defend himself. He responds with not a single word. Pilate finally offers Jesus freedom to the people around him, and those people instead choose to take an insurrectionist and a murderer and free him rather than free Jesus. And Jesus is finally condemned to die. And as he's hung from his cross, he's mocked. He's mocked as this king of the Jews, this man that people cried out, Hoshana to, but was powerless. He wasn't able to do a thing with it. And so this is the man that we raise our palms to. This is the man that we've cried out to victory for. We've wanted freedom and we've wanted healing. But he's hanging from a cross. He's defeated. He's become just another symbol of this Roman Empire and the power and the oppression that that Roman Empire holds. When we used to cry, Jesus, save us. Some of us are reduced to even ask whether or not Jesus could save himself. See, when we we greeted Jesus coming into the city, we expected a revolution. We were ready to fight. We were ready to die. 
to gain our freedom in this war. But Jesus, he just goes to the cross. Our entire nation, we have this messianic hope that our kingdom would be restored, that our people would be set free once again. But this Messiah, instead of setting us free, went to the cross, and our people were horrifically defeated and horrifically sent out into the world once again just shortly after this. All we wanted to do was worship God in this temple that we had built because he asked us to build it. We wanted to live by this holy and sacred word that he had given us to live by. But this man, God, instead took that hope with him. And he allowed himself to be sacrificed. Even, even Herod had some kind of expectation when Jesus met him. It says in Luke that Herod was pleased, that Herod wanted to meet Jesus. Herod was excited about this. He'd been hearing about him for years. And it says all he wanted to do was see Jesus perform a miracle. But Jesus just sits there in silence. Last week, here in New Heights, we had those post-it notes. And we put them on the window that was sitting in front of this altar. We wrote on those notes something that we're lamenting. Something that we weep over. Just as Jesus wept over his city and his people. And I didn't read the notes that you all put up here, so I don't know the breadth or the depth of what was written on them. But I know that the note that I put on there left a mark on me. It was hard for me to talk about what I wrote on that note afterwards, and it was, it was hard for me to even write it down. What I wrote on my note isn't something that's going to change. It's something that I'm going to have to face. And when it comes, it's going to be hard. But I have to ask myself as I do face it whether or not this man that I've shaken these palms at and cried out for victory is worth following even if he's not fixing it and even if he's just going to the cross. N.T. Wright says in his commentary of Luke that as we arrive in Jerusalem with Jesus, the, cre- the question presses upon us. Are we going along for the trip in the hope that Jesus will fulfill some of our hopes and desires? Are we ready to sing a psalm of praise, but only as long as Jesus seems to be doing what we want? This long and dusty pilgrim way of our lives gives most of us plenty of time to sort out our motives for following Jesus in the first place. Are we, not, are we ready not only to spread our cloaks on the road in front of him, to do these showy and flamboyant things, but also now to follow him into trouble, controversy, trial, and death. Maybe the post-it notes that you placed on this window still has some kind of hope attached to it. Maybe there is a chance that something will change and that things will get better. And I hope there is. But on Palm and Passion Sunday, we have to ask ourselves if we can follow Jesus through the shame, through the suffering, the pain, the betrayal, the abandonment, the oppression, the grief, 
through these expectations that we have on him that sometimes never seem to be met, maybe even through death, can we follow him through what has gone on and what is on our notes, even when it seems that he's been defeated? There is, at the end of the story, one man who does not place any expectations on Jesus. He meets Jesus on this road to Golgotha. And as Jesus is nailed to his cross, this man is hung on the cross next to him. This man hears the soldiers and the leaders of the Jewish faith mocking Jesus as the king who could not conquer anything. This man hears another man on a cross mocking Jesus for the place that he's found himself. But this man does not join in the mocking. He doesn't ask Jesus to free himself. And he asks the other man on a cross how he can find it within himself to mock another man on a cross. This man declares that Jesus has done nothing to deserve this shame and this pain and this death. And this man says to Jesus, remember me. Keep me in your memory when you come into your kingdom. And so these palms, they started out as this symbol of God's deliverance and his provision. And as the Maccabees won, these palms began, became a symbol of victory over oppression and over empire. But as we see Jesus hanging on a cross, these palms begin to represent something else. Let these palms be for us a symbol of our willingness, sometimes even our resignation to follow Jesus on this path, whatever this path might bring. And so as the band comes up and begins this next song, I invite you all to come forward during this song and to lay these palms down at the altar. As you bring them up and you lay them down, remember the things that you're lamenting. Remember the things that you've placed on your post-it notes, whether they were here or whether they're just in your heart. Let this palm represent our willingness to follow Jesus through these laments. Let us join this other thief on the cross in asking Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, keep us in your memory.